Hey, Josh. Hey, Nate. How are you this week? I'm doing good. Been, uh, yeah, been having some good snow up here and up in Canada. We uh, got buried in for two days or so. Well, buried in. We don't have a very uh, high tolerance for snow up here compared to some other places in Canada, but we've uh, been having lots of fun with lots of snow. Cool, cool. So you're like the lame version of the Canadian snow people, like in terms of like when you yeah. guys complain, people up further north are like, you weaklings. Yes, yes, that's exactly what it is. And it's it's hard on, on me because I grew up farther north. So I'm always like, oh, this is nothing. We're fine. And yeah, and then I get lumped in with everyone else. So essentially you live in like the Florida of, of Canada? Yeah, something, something <laughs> like that. Not, not quite. Uh, I think British Columbia might be a little warmer than us, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's funny. How are things with you? Uh, pretty good. Having a good week. So kids kids are back in school. We're, uh, our county is doing it on a, like a school-by-school basis in terms of like, you know, pandemic, closing schools, whatnot. We have had a little bit of snow here. You know, things for here, snow ends up being maybe an inch or two. Uh, maybe, maybe in a really bad winter, you might get like, like one snowfall with a foot or two, but that's yeah. like yeah. never. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. So what did you want to talk about this week? I think we had a topic that we meant to talk about last week or, or the week before, and then we sort of got rolled into, uh, some, some other topics once we started talking about the new year and goals right yeah we got a little sidetracked with that but that was a fun tangent um i was hoping we could talk about moats um so you and i are both fans of the uh book seven powers by hamilton helmer and uh you recently sent over a podcast uh, episode where he was being interviewed on uh the acquired podcast great podcast if uh, you're looking for other things to listen to we both uh listen to that quite a bit and so uh, I think we could just talk through kind of some of his seven powers that he lists, which are a uh, form of moats, and then uh, maybe just more generically as well. How okay. does that sound? Uh, sure. I was like, I was thinking we could talk a bit about those high level, but then I don't know, Do as we go through, do you want to think about how they would apply to our businesses as well? Oh, yeah. To put some yeah, context? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Totally. Cool. So maybe like, maybe we should just kind of talk like what, what is a moat, right? Like, um, for people who might not have heard that term before, what, what would you say a moat is Josh? Uh, well, this is tough because the way Hamilton Helmer says it, he thinks of them as these really, really long and enduring sort of, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> how you're fighting off competitors more or less. I would, I would probably, say that or like you know do you have do you have some power or do you have some you know it's rarely a feature um but type of thing that just really prevents direct competition i would say yeah yeah i think i would say it very similar like just something that something that is preventing uh, that gives you a leg up of your competition or gives you a way to differentiate yourself in a meaningful way to your customers and i think you're right like hamilton really he he believes in moats as like this long, powerful thing that like you could use for years on end. Um, but I think there's probably like temporary moats, right? Like if you build a feature or something like that, you have maybe six months of moat. 
something. I like don't know that. if I, I I wouldn't call those moats then. Like I would think of those as more of like yeah, and and that's probably the time scale I think of it. Is there like I think positioning like we had when we had uh, mm-hmm. James uh, over you know on the podcast a few weeks ago. Like we talked a lot about positioning and different things. I think positionings are is sort of temporal, right? Like for me, that stuff. Maybe it lasts six months. Maybe it lasts a year. Maybe it lasts two years at the most. But I wouldn't consider those like a moat. Those are, in my mind, like a little bit more, yeah, temporary, yeah. temporal. Yeah, it's possible that someone could come along and kind of join your position in a way, and then that would make it no longer a moat for you. Right, because that the the point of the moat is the fact that it can't be easily kind of worked around so to speak mm-hmm. so so i in my mind there's probably like the hamilton moats which are like these he thinks of these as long brand enduring like almost nothing can knock you off your pedestal unless you really screw up <laughs> type <laughs> of things um so very long and then these little ones we're talking about in between uh positioning like uh, i would even consider seo kind of a short-term moat potentially because it's other people can compete with you but it might take a couple years for them to maybe have the same SEO footprint in your category, some things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Price, and, and pricing is pricing could be really short term. I think people always yeah. start with that. You know, you all of us as bootstrap founders typically go like, "Hey, I'm going to be like this, but like cheaper." <laughs> <laughs> I always get warning flags when I hear that I'm going to be cheaper because it's like. Yeah, like the it's a it's a very temporary sort of moat, right? All it takes is someone else to see your position and be like, hmm, yeah, actually, I kind of like that spot. I'll take that. Yeah, but it, it's also potentially fool's gold um, uh, just because you don't really know, especially if you're, mostly if you're doing it from your perspective, like, hey, I'm a indie founder. I don't necessarily have a lot of money for certain things. And then you go and you'll be like, oh, yeah, how come? Like, why is Asana so expensive? Like, why don't they just have, instead of $25 a month, it should be, like, why isn't there a solution for $10 a month? But then, yeah, yeah. that, that there, there might be other complicated reasons behind building Asana, behind scaling a company, mm-hmm. behind all of these other mm-hmm. things, support costs, customer acquisition costs that you're not accounting for, and all of a sudden, that's a, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a losing proposition. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we could like kind of dive into like some specifics in terms of like what kinds of moats um, we might like to use or other people use. Um, do you have any sort of, do you have any favorites that kind of jump out to you as like, if I, you know, if I, if I have a couple of weeks, like this is something I really want to work on as a way to build a moat for my company. Well, I, I think that's probably the hardest part is like trying to figure one out in a couple of weeks. So, uh, mm. well, and maybe I'll scale this back. Is do we want to run through maybe quickly? Since we opened with the the Hamilton Seven Powers, we'll talk about these massive moats. Run mm. through those rather quickly. Uh, we can we can talk about those ones a little bit, or maybe afterwards we can pick one or two that we maybe are our favorites. Um, yeah. Yeah, that and then good. we can get into so, and then we can get into kind of like if there's this middling area that I think could be interesting, especially for SaaS that we can talk about after that. Sure, sure. Um, so maybe I'll just I'll just list them one at a time, and we can kind of chat a little bit about each one as we kind of go through. Sounds good. Um, so the first one I have on my list is counterposition. So 
um, as far as I understand that one, it's basically like, you know, BMW has a position in the market as the luxury automobile. And so if I want to enter the automobile market, I might enter as a um, compact, uh, cheap, reliable way to get to work kind of car. And so for BMW to come to take over my position, they would have to cannibalize their own position. Uh, it's kind of the way I understand it. Does that, is that same as you? Yeah, that's, 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 I'd say that's, that's correct. Like where something they're going to do would be so off brand or so painful and hurt themselves that they, they just, it's like they'd be inflict self-inflicting wounds to kind of go and battle in that area. Yeah, exactly. And so this seems like a, one of those ones where if you're the small guy in a, a market where there's big people, big players, that seems like a, a cool one to try out. Yep. Uh, yep. Kind of on my next on my list, I have economies of scale. Do you want to maybe explain what that one means? Sure. Uh, you know, that one in short is just as you get bigger, things get cheaper. So you essentially, by sheer like the size um, of your either customer base or maybe your purchasing power. Like I think Walmart's a great example of that. Like Walmart used to bludgeon people just because they were so big that they got to essentially dictate the prices with manufacturers and people producing goods because they're like, dude, we're Walmart. So I see that you want to charge like $2 for that mug, but you know what? We want to pay $1.50 and, but we have a, you know, $10 million purchase order behind that. What do you say? And it's like, mm, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> because you're Walmart, I guess I'll get, I'll only make 10 cents on this mug. Right. So I think when they do that and they can, they can essentially, let's say they were trying to corner, corner the market, uh, which actually is a separate one and cornered resources, but, (laughs) but you get the idea. It's like having that economy of scale where something gets so big and they're just benefiting from the the size Mm -hmm. that it makes it very challenging to compete with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is like super applicable to the, the markets that you and I are in just with software, right? Like you build software once and you can sell it however many times. Um, sure, there's some incremental cost, but largely it's the upfront cost, right? Yep. Yep. I'd say that's a good one. Uh, next on my list here, I've got network effect. Um, and so this is kind of something where as more people join your network, it has greater benefit to the whole. So maybe an example of that might be um, LinkedIn or like any social network where um, having only two of your friends on there is kind of lame, but as each of your friends joins, the network gets incrementally better for you. And at some point, obviously that has diminishing returns, but that's kind of the idea. Um, I don't know if I've really seen a SA- like a business other than a social network that really works that way. Do you have any, any examples of that? Um, of network effects? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think integration marketplaces almost pay a little bit in that i would think yeah if that makes sense to you like where essentially you know you start to you know you can well i don't know maybe it doesn't yeah no that would work because something like um is it like zapier right like if they only had two integrations then it's kind of lame to integrate with zapier but if you've integrated with zapier and as they add more integrations in then potentially that has more benefit to you 
Yeah, I don't know. Now I'm starting to think about that one. It could that's kind of more of a marketplace, even though mm. like is that really like like just because let's say referral rock adds a zap on there. I guess it does from the supplier side, maybe. I don't know. It's mm. that's a that's a challenging one to think of with SaaS. I mean, I have seen some that do this. Like sometimes there's a there's some SaaSs that essentially like use a SaaS side to fill one area. For example, maybe like a yeah. What about like maybe a G two or um, yeah, like a those types of things? Because again, you need a lot of reviews. And it makes mm-hmm. them a more powerful side to have all the reviews. So then it starts to have like where people are like, oh, if I'm going to look for a software review, I have some trust and affinity with G2. I don't know. Yeah. It's- yeah. Hmm. I feel like that's always like the the sexy one, you know, network effects like, ooh, we're using network effects. But like, I, I don't, I haven't seen many good applications of that. Well, especially in SaaS, like I think it's, you know, Social networks essentially is the quintessential network effect thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Next on my list, I've got uh, switching cost. Uh, maybe you want to explain that one. So this one's a good one, and I know we talked about uh, it just a minute ago with SaaS and and integrations. I think that's actually a really good one because it's like it, it's very light on it's it's in that area in that camp where, for example, let's say they start using your SaaS and they start putting putting their stuff in there, <laughs> so to speak, whether like we talked about Asana, I have our team mm-hmm. uses Asana. We have so, the switching costs would be so painful to switch out of Asana because we have our workflows, our day-to-day workflows, stuff with teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost use this sort of as, you know, my central repository, like uh, for notes and notion types of things. Yeah. So that that plus even integrations like i think that even adds a tighter one like we have an integration with slack and we have other integrations with different things within asana so it even ties deeper into the ecosystem so it's not even like keeping all your stuff but then again it's like okay uh i you know some people add add like an asana task directly from slack conversation or something like that so we would lose some of those potential hooks yeah, and I think I think what you're kind of articulating well is that switching cost isn't just like what is the dollar value it's going to take me to move to a new system, but it's the perceived like emotional and like mental cost of having to get everybody trained up on the new system and like it just it just feels like a mountain and I think that's where the switching cost has the value. Right. Or like, you know, we use you know, in, in some of the communities we're in, we use Slack. So like switching and getting it's like you're going to lose community members if you switch to a mu- new community platform. I bet communities have a very large, like, sw- you know, pain in switching costs. So it's like, oh, you know, is it worth? Uh, Discord sounds interesting. It's like, yeah, mm. you know what? It's just not worth switching right now. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, that's like a. I think that's a cool moat to think about for like our businesses, just because it's like a customer retention thing, right? Like if you can, if you could have high perceived switching costs or actual switching costs, that's a, uh, that's a nice way to keep people, right? Yeah. I, I remember uh, I was talking to another founder and I think he wrote an article about it. Um, uh, his name is Derek Selinsky. I'll probably, 
if I can find it, we'll add it to the show notes, but he, he wrote a specific article on, and I think it was literally called like something about you, you put your stuff in there. <laughs> it's like they had this epiphany where they were, they were running a marketplace um, type of software. And he was like, yeah, well, if they started to, you know, save things inside the platform and do other things, even if I, I was in Airbnb the other day to look at stuff and I was like, oh yeah. And I saved start and like created some little trip like areas, but as you start to invest in it, right? Or maybe you're onboarding into a product and you design an icon or you add some text other than just the normal like stuff that you would add by default, like your business name and logo, mm. but you actually put some work into it. It kind of aids in the, in the like, I've invested, I've invested time and I've invested thought process and stuff in there. And I think that that adds to the mentality of the switching cost as well. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Um, next on my list, I've got uh, process power. So that's like um, basically your company has a proprietary way of doing things, or um, maybe just maybe it's not even proprietary. It's just you know it's the way your company does things, and most other people don't do it that way. And it has some benefit to you. Like maybe you found a more effective way to pan for gold, and mm-hmm. you know nobody else knows how to do this and you're able to get 50% more uh, efficiency out of your process. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I I would have it. I would find that hard in SAS. Although the people I would think of the most that would do this in SAS are like the rise of all these private equity types of companies. Like the, uh, have you heard of Vista? No. So it's like, uh, I think they were ones that bought Marketo a few years ago. And oftentimes a private equity company will, these large ones will buy a company that maybe has a good brand, has a decent product, but maybe they grew so fast that their internal processes and their, uh, I would say like their, yeah, their internals just haven't caught up. Exactly. Or, or it's like, it's kind of, they're kind of a hot mess inside. Right. And then yep. they basically take them and they're like, okay, we have an operation manual. We, these are our playbooks. We're going to run this. We know this works. It's very formulaic. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to get rid of the whole, you know, executive team, replace it all. Anyone that's on board, you do this. Otherwise we're kicking you out. We're sort of, yep. and they essentially put them in that, put them on a cash flow positive run rate start steady growth, like basically making it repeatable. And then they like resell these for like a much higher multiple. So something like that, I think, uh, you know, there are people with this playbook, these playbooks that have been tried and true, and they essentially go and look to buy companies and run that playbook. So that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I, I know of a number of startups where they have that sort of scenario and I could see where that would be a huge benefit. Right. And if you've ever read about Toyota, in terms of like the yes yeah the their assembly system and all of that type of thing like that was a probably a very long enduring moat for a very long time until finally kind of more of the western companies started you know catching up and i think a lot of them even like went and learned from them as well Mm -hmm. i think that's also one of these ones that like process power is like it has a certain lifespan right like I don't think like unless you have like a magic formula for doing something um, like a lot of these other things are sort of known, right? Like if, if you have competitors who are capable and motivated, they're going to be able to catch up on that eventually. Um, Mm -hmm. 
it's just that sometimes you're lucky enough to have competitors that aren't very capable in certain areas and that helps uh, to keep you ahead. Yeah, that's, that's a, I like that one. I feel like that's something that is one of those ones that's a little more can fit a lot of companies because mm. I don't know, I feel like there are more companies out there that are sort of a hot mess than there are ones that <laughs> kind of have have their stuff together from a from a culture standpoint for employees, like how company, how, you know, a, a smaller, tighter, you know, group of 10 engineers can probably, uh, you know, outwit like a, like a team five times their size. If they're just operating with a, with great processes, you know, it's like a great cadence and, and that type of thing. I think that's something not easy to do, but it's something to, aspire to do. And I think if you have that versus your competition, you could have some definite advantages there. Mm -hmm. That's sort of my dream is to have like a enter a market where the, the companies are like a hot mess and to just basically do what they're doing, but have a better process to it and not drop as many balls. Sometimes, sometimes I daydream about that. That's yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. uh, Next on my list, I have brand. Do you want to maybe uh, talk a bit about that one? I think the most enduring brand ones are now. I mean, you, you think about like Apple and things like that. People just buy Apple because it's Apple now. I would say mm-hmm. used to be like that for Nike. I don't know if it's quite as clean as much anymore. Um, yeah, you know, but yeah, there, know. there's ones where they just have such a strong enduring reputation, and they're just so known for a certain type of thing that you just it's almost synonymous, like. I don't know, Kleenex (laughs) and tissues and things like that. Like that to me is where it's just becomes the de facto type of thing. Yeah. I think it is like also for things that are, um, for things that are either small purchases. So like something like Kleenex is just like, I've tried the no name brand and it just, you know, it made my nose horrible. And like, so I'm I'm just going to, I'm just going to do the easy route. I'm just going to pick the recognizable brand. And um, I think we do that for a lot of things, like even buying software too. Like I'm going to buy Intercom because they're the name brand in um, chat software or something like that. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty big force that I don't always recognize. I don't, I don't know if they're quite there, but that, but I, it, it depends on probably who you talk to. But maybe sure. the other one on this other side in the SaaS world, it sounds bad, but like salesforce maybe that's starting to fade now but right like there was the old joke that people would say is like you don't get fired for buying ibm Mm -hmm. you don't get fired for buying salesforce like if you're a sales guy coming into an org and you pick something else that no one else has heard of and your sales processes aren't working very well like they can't if if they can point to a bad decision you made and it you, because you didn't pick Salesforce and now it's like, okay, well, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna pick Salesforce because I know everyone knows how to use that. And then I won't be blamed if that goes badly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Th- that, yeah. I think you're right. Like a lot of like uh, de risking or like covering your butt kind of things. But like I was listening to a podcast. Um, I forget which one it was. I think it might have been, um, oh, shoot, um, Saster, I think. Um, but they mm-hmm. were saying that they had some number that they thought 80% of people would buy a big brand in SaaS as opposed to one of the runners up and purely on brand recognition. 
not on like feature comparison or some sort of rigorous process. And yeah, I'd buy that. I, 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 I think, and in the enterprise, I think that mm. does have a lot of, again, like, Hey, I'm the VP or whatever. I came in here and I don't want to be, is it worth putting my neck on the line for some upstart? Definitely not for some startup. And that's, I'm mm. sorry to say with for other startups, but it's like the risk of them betting on you and they, they pick your your brand new CRM that's been a year out there and you pick it and it, it the UI is really slick and awesome, but then essentially like you go under and it's like yeah. they're they're a they're a you know billion dollar company and they picked you and who's gonna get screwed is that that executive that that picked you and they're like, Why did you pick this? This was like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so true. It's that switching cost, then it becomes the switching cost issue, right? It's like it becomes yeah. this whole like, oh, you you really they went out of business. Now we we lost all our data. <laughs> like we can't you now we have to change all our processes. And why did you pick them? Because your brother in law works there? Like, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And uh last on our list of seven powers is cornered resource. Um and so I think this one's kind of like this is kind of hard to nail down, I think, because like how much is a resource actually cornered? For example, mm-hmm. like if you had people, for example, um, you know, people can be poached if they someone offers them more money, or um, if you have access to a, a supplier list that someone else doesn't, um, that's a cornered resource for a while. But you know, there's a good chance that they're also going to get access to that eventually. Um, yeah, what, what do you think about cornered resource? Definitely in SaaS, I think you're right. This is harder. Like, I feel like especially SaaS because it's essentially, you know, by definition, software as a service. So the services exist out there already in some way, shape, or form. And we're building software to solve problems. We're not necessarily like we don't need rare earth metals. <laughs> we don't need uh, any any really exclusive types of things. Um, you know, you might have some team that knows, you know, some AI type of thing or some exclusive thing, but how much of that really is an edge in SaaS? And if it is, as it gets bigger, more people are going to learn it. And it's, yeah, so, and you're right, people can be poached. I've seen this all whole kinds of things, what with all the Facebook and meta thing. Yeah. <laughs> reading all these articles about poaching all the, like, VR and all the uh, AR AR people just bouncing back and forth and just getting these huge bonuses as they move back and forth between yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, I think you're right. Like there, I think the only thing that might be sort of a cornered resource for us is like if you have if you have special knowledge on a supplier for something that nobody else really has. Um, like maybe you build marketing software and maybe you know how to get a certain metric that nobody else knows how to get or something like that. But I feel like that's like, again, it's, it's a limited time span sort of thing. Cause there's always the risk that someone else is going to figure it out if you manage to figure it out. Right. Yeah, I definitely think, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely fewer and farther between definitely as a long term, the way Hamilton says them boats, but mm. there could be short term things in there that you could use to, grab more market share at that point in time. And maybe if you're combining it with having a good brand and some of these other things and you become like the name for that. And then once someone does 
essentially copy the feature or whatever, then by then you're kind of already, you know, three, four steps ahead. So I think it could be used as a leg up. Mm-hmm. And for these shorter term, like we were talking about in a time scale, maybe one to two year, six month types of advantages. But then after that, people quickly see competitors quickly hear on calls like, hey, everyone keeps going to this other guy because they've got this feature. Like we need to, there's something to that. We got to build something like that. And then lo and behold, six months, a year later, uh, they can, they can, they have that feature too. And now it's back to parity. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think features are kind of the one, like the one thing that it seems to be coming up more often where people seem to think that it's a moat because like, oh, we have this fancy feature, but um, I think more often than not, it's not because if that feature is any good, um, someone else is going to build it in fairly short order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one power that I didn't see on the list that I thought was like, that seems to has a lot of value to me is, um, like customer support and like good service and like that sort of thing. Like maybe it could fall under one of these categories, but, um, I think that that's, I think that that's a good a thing that will keep customers around um, and often is not done well by other companies. And so that's a, that can often be a leg up. I I think you're right. I think it is. I think it's probably one of these ones that like slices through a few things that Mm. uh, can contribute. Like I would say it could contribute to um, your brand essentially like Mm -hmm. a bit on, on how well you're known and those types of things. Um, um, I think it could also, you know, aid in potential, you know, switching costs. Maybe, maybe it's a negative on switching costs. If you have crappy <laughs> customer service and you can't import export out your data, you can add yeah, to your switching. Yeah. No, but yeah, but it could also be like process too, right? Because if you have a good internal processes, then you're able to turn around those, you know, support tickets or those um, import or export requests or whatever in a much more reasonable time span. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think it kind of goes back to our framework of thinking of like, how long could that be an advantage? So, Mm. um, I do think you can have that and it can help you for a couple years. And if it really is, it it can be, I think it can be a great advantage in positioning and starting out. Like if, if the rest, if everyone else is crappy, um, Mm -hmm. then you could, you could be, um, you can be better. Right. But like, other major factors like cornered resources are going to mop the floor with you despite your level of service. So, yes. you know, like Comcast, do you hear about Comcast up there? I don't know if you, I only hear bad things about telecom <laughs> providers. <laughs> well, there you go. So it's like, yeah, especially because they have a cornered resource, right? Like most, they only have regional, you might only have like one, maybe two broadband options and they're both, kind of crappy so it's like Mm. (laughs) if one just leveled up their service man (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i guess like i do maybe my my way of thinking is a little bit different too where like my my strategy with all of this is to like yeah you want to grow using these different powers to kind of help you grow but to me it's more important to have a solid customer base and add to it than to have a somewhat shaky customer base and add lots to it. Um, because then it seems to me that you can, you can kind of like 
you know, power leads to power kind of, right? Like mm-hmm. your, your employees are, are more happy because there's less churn. Your customers are more happy. There's less people that are angry with you, all of those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. And what's funny is like, and I know in his book, Netflix was a good example. And that's, it's interesting because you think about those, you think about like, I think for me, it's like a long-term strategy thing. Like if you can align well with one of these, Mm. um, it can, it can make you much more enduring than the, but, but mostly the scope we're talking about is just getting off the ground. Like you're saying, getting customers, making sure you're, you're viable. Um, good service is going to help that. So all of these other things are really solid, solid business practices to have that can differentiate you enough to get you either out of the competition, right? Or maybe leading even within your scope or penetrating an existing market. Um, mm-hmm. Like our, our service was actually one of the ones that helped, I think, uh, initially it gave us kind of this short-term positioning. Uh, when we were when we were battling some early um, referral marketing software, we were able to, what we did is we found this, arbitrage pricing in between like the $50 a month versus like the, you know, a thousand dollar a month. And we yeah. were able to go in between and then also say, but we can also offer the same level of service that you get at a thousand dollar. So, right. and like personal onboarding and account manager, all of these other things. Now it made us so our unit economics weren't particularly as strong, but it was okay. Cause, because now we're penetrating a market at, half the cost, but also providing kind of a, a little, a level of service, which also attributes to kind of a counter positioning type of thing, because yeah. if that company wanted to drop down and compete with us, they couldn't, they weren't going to just drop their list price because then all of a sudden they, you know, they're going to get their existing customers that are paying a thousand dollars a month, calling them and being like, Hey, now you're charging. I want to pay less. Like, why do I get screwed yeah. and pay and have to pay that? So maybe they can do one-off little ones as they're competing with us on a deal by deal basis. But if they tried to do it publicly, if they're comparing website things and they yeah. look at apples to apples and then they go half the price over here. So that, that was a position for us that, that did very well for, but, but for a short term for a period. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So is there, um, maybe just as we wrap up here, is there any favorites that you have in here that uh, you want to just touch on before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I definitely like the switching costs mm. one. I think the switching costs for me makes you think a lot about like what investment people can make, how you can bake into people's workflows, whether it's like, Oh, this little Chrome plugin that like works with your email. Like once it gets locked in, I like I like thinking about that. Counter positioning is always awesome. I mean, that's yeah. kind of <laughs> that's kind of like all the regular positioning stuff, and you can do it for niche, you can do it for pricing. We talked about. I like the the one from the fact that what's interesting is you often see is it's such and such, but for X. And the yep. interesting part about that is if you niche it correctly you could also be playing against two different user groups like where if you look at for example at face value you know graphic software like you have a canva you have a uh adobe and then you have like a figma right figma mm-hmm. doing like 
uh, prototypes, but Figma was their, their angle was for um, essentially like for designers and for teams like, and, and product teams and things like that, where you look at the, who is the other one? Envision was a little different sketch and all of these other ones hit different angles, but then it's like, okay, if I try to compete with them, then I'm going to cannibalize my existing set because the pricing is different or whatever. So yet, you know, at face value, you you talk to your mom or you ask your mom, you're like, okay, these are all like things to do, you know, graphics in. So what's the big deal? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And to the outside eye, it's just like, ah, whatever, right. They're all, they all kind of do the same. Right. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So, so for me, those are probably the big ones. I mean, internally, you can focus on process power. Uh, brand is probably eh, it's I, a lot of people will think brand is more in SaaS than others, but I think it can be in the big ones like CRMs and other ones where uh, ERPs things that you're really like running your whole business off of, where it's a high risk uh, that a, a failure. Like I think mm-hmm. then you're going to go with like a brand. You're going to go with the proven incumbent because of the whole, like, I don't want to lose my job because I picked the wrong platform type of thing. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think what you said about like the counter position, I think that's, I think that's always a favorite just because like, it's like the David and Goliath kind of thing, right? It's like this, this scrappy little company is going to do something that's going to take down this big company. And I think that's just fun to watch, even if, you know, you're just talking about it theoretically. Right. So yeah. Cool. Do you have any moats you're thinking of specifically that you would apply to uh, product sonar? Yeah, like I think the the biggest one would be the switching cost, um, and and maybe also economies of scale. Like the the switching cost would just be like that you have all this history to the pricing information we're giving you, um, and you're going to lose that if you go somewhere else. You're going to have to start over. Um, mm-hmm. I think the other thing with like economies of scale, like especially as I add more customers to the network, um, that really brings down some of my costs. Um, like in fact, like I think it goes from like I think it's like divisible by five or something like that. Like that's how much cheaper it is if as I get more uh, customers on the platform. So um, that will definitely work in my favor. Well, do you think that, but in, will that work in your favor versus competitors? Like, I don't know who you're looking at from a competitor standpoint. And then it would mean, it means a better profit margin for you, but mm. does that from a moat perspective really help you? Right. So it does help me from the the one-off people. So there are a few of my competitors where it's like, it's just some guy that's made some script that will get the pricing information. Um, mm-hmm. and so it would help me against those people, but you're right against a bigger company. It wouldn't, and I think more with the bigger companies where my power is, is the cornered resource kind of side of things where a lot of their tools don't actually have the ability to get the data that I'm getting, um, just because mm-hmm. of some of the, the anti-bot protection and whatnot is so much better on some of these sites. Um, and I have a way through that at the moment. So. Yeah, cornered resource. Hopefully, that stays for a long time. Do you think network network effects or network economies has any? As I can see, you getting more data and kind of falls more into the scaling part. But yeah, do, do your customers get? Can you? Is there any way to have that as a benefit? Yeah, so that would be a benefit. Um, 
like immediate like immediately at the benefit is that I have more data to work with, and so I'm able to provide um, different reports and things like that, which is a benefit to me. Um, and I think I still have to kind of be creative on how I can make that a benefit to the customer. Um, like maybe like part of, as I get more people in the network, I could offer like free, um, uh, country wide reports on certain things. Like, you know, what's the, the country wide statistics on certain things. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I guess that's still like your, that's really more based off of you being able to want to, to crawl more of the information. So I guess if we go from the pure definition of like, does the network, does the, the, the added value of a customer joining your network, does that make it better for everyone? If anything, that actually might be an inverse. Like if everyone in the country, like all every hardware store or every, every type of company you wanted to like use yours, then they're all like mm. fighting against each other. And then essentially like it's almost kind of worse because you're 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 selling them the arbitrage in between their competitors right so that yeah. you're selling them the competitive intelligence on each other so yeah that one may not actually be one so it yeah. actually might be inverse yeah yeah but it's basically you're too it, successful it benefits it benefits everyone who's in the network but anyone who's out of the network is like you know they're gonna get run over well then, that's about uh, that's a good FOMO play then uh, for your for your uh, outreach and copywriting. So. It is. I have it. Uh, I have it on my playbook. <laughs> nice, cool, <laughs> nice. Well, this has been fun. Um, moats are really cool. I think. Uh, I think there's probably like a lot of different ways if you spent enough time thinking about. It, there's a lot of different ways you could probably apply it and um, make things a little more stable for your business. Yeah, I'm, it's definitely has me thinking of the long term, like three, five, 10 year, uh, horizon for referral rock and how I think about those types of things and where, you know, where certain things we're doing can dig a deeper moat or, or go in some of these potential directions that, you know, Hamilton is talking about. I I don't think SAS is like we said, SAS is a little harder in some of these areas, but, um, um, because most of the companies they're talking about are just I guess well, Twilio's on that list. I don't remember which one Twilio had. Do you? No, I don't recall. Twilio. Yeah, I don't know. They're they're on the they're. I think they're on the list of one of the ones he showcased. Anyway, I think. Uh, but but I think this was hopefully helpful applying to startups and SaaS businesses, kind of in this middling area like we are. So. Yeah. Totally. All right. It's been good talking with you, Josh. Cool. All right. See you later, Nate. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share with a friend. We're new to this podcasting thing, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. Tweet us at Searching for SAS on Twitter. That's Searching, the number four, SAS. Or send an email to searchingforsass at gmail.com. See you next week.